trail and ultra runners what is going on what's happening welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. another special episode of the Coopcast as i am recording it out of mobile base camp that's right my adventure van we are recording the podcast live from this a special edition because it is very timely this is all about exercise immunology and how exercise affects your immune system with relevance to the new vaccines that are coming out. I know that a lot of runners are now just getting in line for either their first or their second dose of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccines or the first dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine or whatever vaccine is approved in your area. We know we have listeners from all over the world here. And so on the podcast today, I brought back a repeat offender in Glenn Davison, who is an exercise immunologist out of the UK. And we discuss all of these areas of how exercise impacts your immune system and what runners should be taking into account as they are designing their training leading up to the first or the second dose of either these vaccines or the the first dose, the only dose of the one-shot vaccines. And as you guys will find out, this is a topic that is incredibly nuanced right now. We don't know a whole heck of a lot about it. And I think that we should all keep that in mind as we are going through this process together. I don't want to put out any information that could otherwise be false or anything that we don't know about. And so what you will find out is, is what we tried to do is we wanted to educate the public first so that you guys can make correct training decisions as you're going through either one of these or any of the vaccines uh, that, uh, that that are available out there. All right, so that with that as a little bit of a prelude, I'm going to get right out of the way. Here's my conversation with Glenn Davison. Every time I turn on the world news, something is something is something bad is happening in the UK. <laughs> Oh god, yeah, it's always always the way. <laughs> We're battling on with the vaccinations, though, so uh, that's that's looking good. Has it been going pretty well there? The rollout. Yeah, yeah, we we uptake I think is really high, like 90 percent or more. Oh wow! Um, and we are doing forty-one-year-olds um, being invited to going out to like people in their early forties this week. So if they keep that up. They're looking to have everybody have, have had at least one one shot by July. Wow! Which is uh, all adults anyway. So uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's kind of why I wanted to get this out sooner rather than later. In fact, I might actually release it this week on Thursday um, if I can get all the post production done by then. Because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's like the demographic that listens to the podcast they're all kind of like in some part of the queue, you know, cause even here in the U S like we had a phased approach. Right. And it's now just rolling out to like the healthier general, you know, public that I think a lot of the, a lot of the listeners are in that demographic, right. 35 to 55 healthy, no preexisting conditions or anything like that. So they're all kind of rolling into it. And it's kind yeah. of funny because I mentioned this to you in the email, right? Like the, they have now heard all of the stories and tales and news reports and things like that of all of these really wide ranging responses from the groups that were vaccinated before them. And I, I, I and I keep, when I, whenever I hear that, I, I keep having to think, I keep having the same thought is that because we've layered the the world right and everybody's got a, every different country has a little bit of a different flavor of this but because the world has had this uh like prioritized approach for the most part with layering in the vaccine we can't always rely on the news reports and the tales from the previous group because it's a different set of demographics and yeah. I, I think that's where this whole thing starts to become problematic of trying to like give advice to people because we're basing it off of a user group that, you know, all of a sudden might not be valid. I mean, we might see completely different responses as we go up and down in age, up and down in health, up and down in whatever, or it could all be exactly the same. It's like, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to try to unwind all that. 
<laughs> or at least within your specialty of 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 how exercise Im- Im- impacts the immune systems. I get. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say easier said than done to, know, to untangle right? all of that. <laughs> well, but that's the other thing, right? Like, so what started to emerge, and I'm sure you've seen this uh, in a different in a bunch of different formats, is the in the athletic community is people are starting to try to develop guidelines for athletes and they range from take the whole week off bordering your the whole month off I've, I've seen that before take the whole month off bordering any of the vaccines whether it's the one shot two shot variety doesn't matter take the whole month off take the day off do a hard workout the day before and then take the rest of the week off so they're trying to like backload you know backload the the uh, the the recovery I've seen the opposite, try to front load the recovery, take the week before off, but then the day afterwards you're good. And every single time I've seen any one of those, I'm like, nobody knows. Like nobody, like you're giving these recommendations to a big, broad group of people and we don't really know if they're going to be able to stick to that or not. Yeah, I think a lot of these are, are probably just kind of best guess or yeah. sort of suppositions just based on, you know, sometimes maybe being quite conservative or sort of cautious, maybe sometimes not being cautious enough. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's no, there's no evidence out there. So it, it really is. If people are giving really rigid guidelines like that, at best, it's a kind of, you know, an educated guess based on bits of info, bits of data that's come in or potentially looking at evidence from other types of vaccinations probably flu as as the most common but that's that's going to be i guess useful to tell us some things uh, about the way you know the strength of the response and stuff like that but it is yeah it is maybe not giving the the whole picture but you know i, I guess that they're, they're just trying to fill fill the, the the gaps and the blanks in our knowledge with with something rather than just going don't know. I know. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate trying to give people guidance, but I always think that when something is new and you don't really know, you either need to make the recommendations almost so broad that they're kind of, they're not as meaningful on an individual basis. Or, and I think this is the approach that we're going to take throughout the, or more of the flavor, I guess, that we're going to take throughout this podcast is you serve the purpose of informing the public so that they can craft their own decisions. And when I tend to steer towards the latter within athletic populations because of the individualistic nature of everything, training response. This is, you know, a very good, a very good example of this individual nature of response. I always take education first and then we try to tailor that education towards the individual use case. So, so anyway, that I'm saying that from the onset of this as a little bit of a backdrop, if at the end of the podcast, we don't have a definitive answer on take the day off before the day of off. And then the day, if, if there's something not that specific, the you, if, if the listeners are expecting that they're going to be sorely disappointed. I think we can be confident in saying that, right, Glenn? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And if we do, if we do drift into that, then I guess it's the reminder that um, you don't don't take that as a specific recommendation. I guess that would be one example. Uh, yeah, don't think that, yeah. <laughs> that's not the answer. That's not the answer. The yeah, day off before, yeah. the day off of, and the day off after is not the answer. <laughs> Nobody go and start to run with that. That could work out for you, but if you get, if it worked out for you, you. You know, it's a total guess. Um, okay, so here's here's something to illustrate this uh, quite quite well that I had with my athletes, and then what I think we're going to dive into is the the how exercise actually affects the immune system, and then hopefully listeners can get a little bit of a better picture of that to kind of help design their own training. So, I had the second dose of the Pfizer shot um, three weeks ago. And I got really lucky. I snuck in and got one of the leftover doses um, through our local clinic. My wife is a high school English teacher, and so I used the same clinic that she was using. And it wasn't an easy process, but I was definitely trying to, you know, get things early because I've got a number of, you know, projects uh, going on this summer. I did not want to take a dose 
from somebody who needed it more than I did. I wanted to put myself in a position so I could live with myself at the end of the day, such that I was literally taking there some something that they were going to throw away at the end of the night. So that happened. I got in line early, probably about six or eight weeks early. Um, if I'm looking at the whole time frame of thing, because my peer group, I'm 42 years old, I'm healthy, is just now either have they've just gotten their first dose or they're kind of almost on the border for getting their second dose. <clears throat> so I was about four to six weeks early. Zero effects at all from either one of those. I was personally training for a 50 mile race here in the United States called the Zane Gray 50. I did not skip one single beat. I might've taken the day of easy, but I still trained hard. I still, you know, I, I just didn't have any effects at all. I've had, I've had, I have had athletes that are in my same peer group that have not the opposite end of that response spectrum, but, but one of the more like classic tales that we're hearing where they were down and out for four or five days after this, particularly the second dose, I think is the thing that everybody's, you know, the thing that's got everybody's hackles all, all, uh, up in awareness. And so we tailored that, or I, ta- I tailored that athlete's training and based it off of what that, how that athlete was feeling and gradually started to kind of like dose test different intensities and volume along the way. And the linchpin in it all was, is we knew with that athlete, we had a long time to train. So whether around the second dose became a little bit of a recovery phase or not, that all that whole architecture of the long range plan gets shuffled around because athletes can only handle so much stress over long periods of time. And so what you don't do one week, you're going to end up doing two months down the line or something like that. So I've experienced it all over the board, both personally and, and kind of with my athletes. Neither one of those, to go back to our earlier caveats, are what anybody should actually do, right, Glenn? <laughs> I don't want somebody to take take that and like start to pattern it after themselves. But it's, let, let's let's go back to the basics. In a little bit, this is going to be a recap of a podcast we did earlier in terms of how exercise actually impacts the immune system. Let's walk through that and grade it a little bit on the exercise, we'll, we'll just say load, we'll combine kind of volume and, and intensity into load because that is ultimately where the, where the bigger, where, where the, I think that's the best lens to kind of like look at it through rather than to get caught in the weeds here. So Glenn, you're the expert. Take us through what happens with our immune system. We go out, we go run for an hour. We go out and we go run for two hours. We go out, we go run for four hours how is the immune system going to respond to those different bouts of exercise? Yeah. I mean that, and this is where the individualization comes in or the sort of the, I guess the variations between people, because it's interesting. You use the term load there. um, And obviously it depends why we're quantifying it for what purpose are we quantifying it for sort of training prescription? Are we quantifying it for, you know, some, some other reason and like load is a nice, I guess, summary of all of the different parts of the equation, but it is also relative as, as well to, to the individual. So the exact same on paper session for one person could be relatively a lot more difficult and a lot more stressful to another person. So the, the, the models that are out there and the way that we kind of describe the relationship between load in inverted commas and what happens to the immune system is really just a very simplified, uh, sorry, simplified stylized representation of it. And again, this is where people can fall into the trap of thinking, oh, well, this is what the textbook says. This is what the literature says. So I have to hard and fast go it's always one hour or it's always two hours right. where, where the, where the tipping point is, but it's really individual. So, but yeah, the, 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 that stylized representation is that some is good, you know, moderate amounts of exercise tend to enhance our immune defenses and the ability of the body to fight off a potential infection. Um, because obviously a potential infection is, you know, something that you might be exposed to. You could fight it off and never know about it or you could succumb to it and actually get the infection. Um, So it's all about that defense system. And generally speaking, if we look at it in really simplified, stylized terms, moderate amounts um, enhance that defense and therefore reduce the risks of picking up these things. Whereas very 
strenuous and or prolonged or higher loads tend to reduce the defences slightly, which mean the risks are slightly increased. Um, and again, if you pick up you know, an old paper or an old textbook, you might see some people referring to the kind of tipping point um, being you know, somewhere at about between one and two hours. So once you get over that at a moderate intensity, that's when it starts to tip from positive to negative. But again, that is purely to draw that curve in a nice stylized way in real life, you know, for one person, it could be what you would consider, you know, not really a high load at all. Whereas for another person, the, the kind of the bulletproof guys, if you like, they could do, you know, three times that and still be okay. And, and it's all relative. So I, I guess the, the takeaway point is it's relative to the individual um, and not just them as an individual, but also where they are right now in, in terms of their current state, their current physiological state. So, for example, that tipping point for you as a person will differ at different stages of the season. You know, when you're maybe off season, you'll have a different threshold. When you're, you know, really well trained and well conditioned, then you'll be a bit more resilient to, to that sort of higher, higher stress, that higher demand. Um, but yeah, in a nutshell, the big loads, the kind of the high level stuff are the ones which theoretically reduce those defences and, and make an individual, you know, less well equipped to fight off a potential pathogen should they come into contact with it. And the we had a really interesting discussion amongst our internal coaching group kind of, kind of about this. And one of the points that I brought up to them is if you're – coaching your athletes correctly, that decline or that compromise in the immune system really shouldn't be that much on a daily or a weekly basis. If you're applying training stimulus and removing that training stimulus in an intelligent fashion, like all of our, like all coaches should be doing, we should know how to do that. Yeah, every once in a while you're going to you're going to have to take the hit because you have to stress the body out in order to improve. That's just a consequence of training. But it shouldn't be so much that you have to take extraordinary measures for anything albeit we're talking about the immune system now, but anything to bounce to bounce back up through, through these really big lows. And so if you're looking at preparing your athlete for either one of these COVID vaccines through this lens of, well, I have to give them a whole, I have to remove a whole lot of training stress in order for their immune system to bounce back. You're either looking at it through the lens that you're either, you're either saying that your athlete is already overcooked in the first place because you have too much training stress applied, or you don't understand that with a moderate amount of training load reduction, you should get that bounce back because it's a fairly, it's a fairly quick bounce back as long as things aren't out of control in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And so, okay. And so we have, so people are going to want to know, we try to use these relative load terms. Glenn and I are laughing our asses off on the YouTube version of this, by the way, people are going to want to know like what's like relative and the stereotypical literature, like you said, is defined. This is like one hour, 90 minutes of moderate exercise and above Higher than that or more than that, you're going to compromise your immune system and below that you should actually enhance, you should enhance it, enhance it because exercise is good. But we know that athletes and particularly competitive athletes that train chronically are going to have a higher threshold. So in terms of the immune system's up, down, sideways response, is it really as simple as almost taking an average and we're, once again, we're stylizing load as volume and intensity, but let's really simplify it and just say volume. Let's just say you're doing no intensity at all. And let's just say for really simplistic purposes, they're running two hours a day and not having any, you know, they can run two hours a day every single day and feel great. If they go up to three hours a day for a few days, would that then cause a compromise in their immune system? And then they would have to go back down to a da a, down to an hour a day. Is that literally the way things are happening in this like up, down, sideways fashion? Sort of, yes. Um, 
in that. I mean, it's interesting that you said, and they're feeling great. Um, right. I, I because, did that intentionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So because that is one of the kind of internal markers yes. that we can use and it's often overlooked, but it's so powerful and, right. and, and so valuable in terms of how insightful it is telling you about actually what's going on physiologically in the body. So I would say definitely if they're, if they're not feeling, you know, if how they are feeling during that um, and in the recovery after subjectively um, it is good, then yeah, then that suggests that, that that's in a, you know, that's a reasonable load. Um, and then in terms of the, I guess the scenario that you gave is what if they then go up to three hours, it's hard to say how much of an increase is too much and how much is okay. Right. Um, and again, it could come down to how, how they feel. So if it's enough of an increase to make them go, whoa, this feels awful now, or I can really tell, or I feel like I'm, I'm not going to be ready to, to go again tomorrow. I'm going to maybe need another day to recover. If you're starting to feel that, that would suggest to me that that's for that person, that's where that tipping point is or that threshold is. Um, and the, one of the other things that has come out in some of the literature out there um, is it's not just the total volume per se, but it's, it's the rate of change in that sort of the rate of increase. So it's not the total volume that you get to, you know, in that particular week, but if you were at a much lower volume and you get to that volume really, really quickly, so it's not the absolute volume per se, but if your rate of, you know, um, acceleration to that point is too steep, um, then that could be more of a, a stressor, more of a demand, um, than, and, and therefore cause more negative effects than the actual total volume per se so and again i mean this is exactly the same as you know general training general training physiology and sort of general training responses but it applies to the immune system as as well so yeah with that example if they were fine with two and would going up to three be okay or not okay again it would really for some people it might be and for others it might not so it would be more if i think they would be able to know and tell based on how they felt and how they responded to that particular session where that sat for them on that, you know, continuum of okay to maybe, maybe not so okay. And the athletes that are listening to this, they're generally going to be experienced enough to know that. And the, one of the things that I always take away from conversations with people like you, and I just happened to meet with uh, the Training Peaks co-founder, Dirk Friel, a couple of days ago on this very this very same topic is that your training history is so incredibly important to capture, not just the miles that you've run and the Strava segments that you conquered or like whatever it is, but the subjective feedback that also encapsulates what happened during that workout. Because over long periods of time, and I'm talking about years, if you do a really good job capturing that, you know what relative training load increases or decreases actually do to you and how you react to them. It takes a lot of deliberate energy to encapsulate that, you know, that feeling and that sensation. But if you do a really good job with it, it actually is incredibly powerful to say exactly what you just went through is a one hour increase going from two hours to three hours. Is that going to be enough to make me feel good? Is it enough to make me feel bad? Am I going to feel the same? And then you can use that information to draw out training and create scenarios for the future because your body is smart. I mean, you never exactly you never exactly copy paste what you've done from season to season, but it still should rhyme, right? You should still be playing yeah. to strengths and weaknesses and I, oh, I really screwed up over here, so I'm not going to screw up as bad next time. Like it always rhymes from season to season in terms of how you can apply and remove load and how that affects the body. And I think the immune system is just a microcosm of that. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you your baseline as well. So, and I mean, it, sometimes you might not realize until it's too late and you know, you have overcooked it yeah. and then you do get, you do get ill. But if you've got all of that recorded and logged in your training logs or your training diaries or whatever, then, okay, yes, you didn't spot it early enough. You didn't avoid it. You did get ill, but at least afterwards you could look back and you might spot, you know, you might be able to look back at the, the sort of days and weeks before that illness. And you might be able to spot actually now, now kind of taking a step back and looking with a wider lens at that, 
you can learn from it and you can say, actually looking at this, look, I did do that big jump up and, and my, you know, my feelings that I was keeping logged. I did see that then my resting heart rate was a bit elevated in the days going into this sort of thing. So you could, you could use that as a sort of a learning, um, I guess a learning tool that might help you next time round to sort of start to spot, get your baseline and start to spot your patterns so that you could identify this, what's okay for you, relatively speaking. I mean, it will change throughout your career as well, I suppose, as you, as you mature, you know, if you're kind of going, you know, up the sort of development, but also once you get to a certain age, as we unfortunately all do, then, and you start to, you know, get onto the sort of the other side of a, you know, 40, 50, then it's going to, things are going to change again. And what, what was okay before might not be okay anymore just because you're, you know, you're aging, unfortunately, and uh, not as fit and robust and don't recover as quickly as you may be used to when you were a little bit younger. Yeah. I always like to say that it rarely repeats, but always rhymes in terms of the training response to anything good, bad, sideways. So here we go, Glenn, we were trying to avoid this, but let's like try, let's like dip our toes in the water a little bit. Cause I think we have something to pull on, right? So if an athlete has done a good job encapsulating their training, they've got good training logs and things like that. We know that we can derive future training and how we adjust training architecture, we modulate volume and intensity and training load and all of those components in order to produce adaptations. We can also look at it as where we've potentially kind of screwed up, where we've overcooked ourselves. We can look at previous bouts of illness. And once again, infection and illness are multifactorial. It's not just training that's causing it. You still have to have, as you mentioned last time on the podcast, you have to be exposed to the agent in order to get infected from it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but can 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 we reasonably look back at once again as trying to come up with some actionable piece of information for the listeners to take away with can they look back at their previous training and use it as a little bit of a guidepost particularly during a portion where they got they might have gotten sick and said well at least i'm going to avoid that terrain trap i'm not going to repeat that pattern of whatever i did going into it exactly going into when I'm getting these vaccines, or I would say even ever, because if you made that mistake yeah. once, you should be making it twice. They can, it can give some clues and, and some hints, but it, it's, I guess it would be a mistake to assume that it was definitely caused yeah, by that. Because right. like you said, it is multifactorial. You know, we, everybody's going to get ill at some point and they might have, you know, they might have been completely sedentary their whole life. They're going to get ill. They might have only had moderate levels of training and activity. They're still going to get ill sometimes. So they could look back at a, a period when they got ill and they could look back at what they did before. And actually, it wasn't because of what they did before. It was just unlucky. They were exposed to that particular illness and, and they got infected. So I think as long as they are conscious of that, they can look back at occasions maybe probably more than one would be good and they could see if there are any clues in there if it all lines up you know if it gives them some hints great um, but i wouldn't get obsessed with it with it and think okay i was ill then whatever i did that week before was definitely wrong because it could have been okay and it was just they were unlucky and they just you know came into contact with that particular pathogen that was you know highly contagious highly infective and no matter what they'd have done they'd have still they'd have still succumbed and, and got it Clues, I think, is a really good way to put it. You're not, and that's why I like to say it rhymes. It's never copy-paste, right? It's never the exact same thing because all of this stuff is multifactorial and you can't ever say, oh, well, I got injured because I switched shoes or, oh, well, I got injured because I did 2,000 more feet of vertical or whatever it is. There's always several things at play. Some of those things at play dominate the landscape, certainly. But there's yeah. always there's always several things at play, and this is and, and this is definitely one of them. But I, I do think that if the listeners go, if this is a catalyst for people to go back and either look back at their training and really scrutinize it for those things, and look for the things that are rhyming, and look for the clues, you know, these really soft things that Glenn and I are trying not to pigeon our, <laughs> pigeonhole ourselves in. I think that that's a good exercise because it can help you inform training going forward. Or if this is a catalyst to start that in the first place, mission accomplished right there. Because that is, encapsulating your training is one of the most power, and then periodically reviewing it for these clues 
is one of the most powerful things that you can do because you are really able to leverage the individual nature of all of these things. This exercise immunology just being one of them. So with with that individual token, I'm almost kind of, I'm almost kind of thinking are there also patterns to pick up based on previous infections? Because we all know the people that never get sick. We all know the people that get sick that always get sick, same time every single year. And we also know the people that whenever they do get sick, they get the cold, they get the flu or whatever, they're out for longer periods of time than the rest of the the population. Do you think that that is worth something to take into consideration in terms of how to or like how to organize training going into these one of these vaccines or is it something completely unrelated? I Tough think, question, man. Yeah, I know yeah, I was going to get you is, that yeah, line. Yeah. I, I think it's probably not. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I couldn't say to be honest with you, with you, yeah. Jason. I think it's 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 kind of I'm I'm speculating, um, maybe maybe a bit a bit wildly here. I I would say it's not necessarily um, the same thing, but I, on the other hand, I could equally see how that that same person who gets rid of it quickly, you know, they don't suffer for very long. That could be you know, they've got an immune system that is, you know, a bit more robust, a bit quicker at clearing it. That might mean that they have, um, you know, a more robust response to, to vaccination. But that is, you know, complete speculation um, on, on my yeah. part. I've never seen any research, you know, directly comparing how people normally suffer um, with a, a normal um, sort of free living infection to how they respond to a, to a vaccination. Um, so yeah, interesting, interesting uh, idea. It'd be nice, a nice study to do, I guess, for somebody, but I, I, I don't know the answer. Are there right any, any enterprising graduate or PhD students that are out there that want to do that? Glenn's uh, contact information will be in the show notes. <laughs> so you can get a hold of him and he could be your supervisor for it. Uh, okay. I, I, and once again, I, 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 I caveated this. We both caveated this pretty hardcore from the beginning that I think that we we did not want to speculate on a lot of these things because all of this is so new. And the last thing we want to have happen is to create some basis of recommendation or even theorize on a basis of recommendation and have that all of a sudden go awry a year from now. And we both look like idiots. That's something that we definitely want to avoid. Um, okay. So... <sighs> Let's take a, a little bit of another tact with this. And I, I say this, a lot of people are going to probably think of this next section as a like, well, duh. But I do think that um, looking at the, the terrain traps to avoid, I think is really important because it's not like you're going to get, sometimes when you're going into these situations, you're getting a vaccine or you know you're going into a high contagion area. The Olympics is always a great example of this. You have thousands of athletes coming in from all over the world and all of the NGBs get super paranoid about their athletes getting sick. And so they have to do a big job, a large job educating their athletes, which COVID kind of did for us this year, but they have to do a really great job educating their athletes to simply not get sick before the Olympic games, which only comes around once every four years. And it'd be horrible to get a cold right before your competition, which happens a lot. So what are the terrain traps that we need to be avoiding as people are going through these different vaccination doses? What are the things that they definitely like should not be doing going into them that we can say close to for certain or it's just bad practice uh, to do in, in advance of either of these vaccines? So, I mean, if you're wanting to get the optimal response um, from a vaccination, then obviously the, the, what the vaccine is doing is, is basically activating an immune response and developing immunological memory. So you need your immune system to be operating optimally if you want to get an optimal response. So you don't want to be doing silly things that could have a, a detrimental effect on your immune system. So I would say avoid all of those things that we know could have a negative impact. So that's, you know, nutritional things. So have a good diet life stresses, you know, minimize them as much as possible, sleep and um, quality and quantity. If, if that's affected, then that could potentially have a knock on effect. I mean, again, this is all of these things. I'm not aware there's 
probably you know because this this is evolving so so quickly there's probably some data out there that somebody's you know dug out and mined and stuff like that showing correlations between these things and covid um, outcomes and and covid vaccination but i'm i'm not aware of any of them just yet we're just looking at general responses to other you know vaccines for things like influenza and and stuff like that um yeah, basically be healthy, be as healthy as you can. So avoid all of those negative health things as much as possible would, would certainly be a pragmatic thing to do. Even if, you know, that study hasn't been done yet and we haven't got that hard, robust evidence out there, it's not going to be a bad thing, you know, to be healthy as possible, have optimal diet, try to, you know, minimize your stress as much as possible, try to sleep well, all of that sort of stuff. So I would say they would be, yeah, the, the clear sort of um, or avoiding those, I guess, would be the, you know, the, the traps to try and avoid falling into. What about um, things like hydration, just basic hydration stuff? Does that have any effect? Again, I don't, I don't know that I've seen anything to suggest it would be a major thing unless it's, you know, really severe dehydration, but just moderate amount that are normal. Um I think I haven't seen anything to suggest that that would be bad as long as you're not chronically doing that and you're just like with, you know, you're, you're still training, you're still exercising, you're, you're disrupting, you know, homeostasis there and you bring it back um, into balance as quickly as you can. That's part of your recovery. So, um, but possibly, I've seen the yeah. reason, the reason I mentioned that is I've seen that specific re- recommendation, right? Make sure that you are more hydrated than, than, than normal going into the vaccine. And so once again, I say, well, you should always be well hydrated, like more. It's probably not bad, but it's probably not better, but you shouldn't get lured into a false sense of hope thinking that, you know, you're going to chug a couple extra liters of water right before this vaccine and you're going to have some sort of super response to it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where that that's come from really. Maybe that maybe it's just like a, a general bit of advice to try and avoid people being overly dehydrated. Obviously if you're, if you're dehydrated, I guess there's, a slightly higher chance of maybe feeling a bit faint or, or fainting or something like that. But I, I would question the the kind of the, the notion of see, being more hydrated than normal, because what if an individual is already very, very well hydrated and they, yeah. they hear that advice to them more than normal would potentially be taking too much. And why would they want, what would they gain from, from, from that? I don't know. So again, I don't know, maybe there is some evidence out there to, that's back that up. I'm, I'm personally not aware of it though. So yeah, I would. I always worry, I always worry, I always worry about those types of recommendations because I know athletes and I know athletes take it to the extreme. They're like, Oh, if I need to be really well hydrated, I'm going to go get a gallon of water and I'm going to chug it right before the vaccine. Cause then it's going to be, I mean, no, seriously. I mean, they take, people take dose recommendations many times as the dose is literally related to the response that you get. And sometimes it's many times it's not, sometimes it's inversely related past a certain threshold. And so whenever I see you, we can go through supplements ad nauseum where this is the case and they've, and people have had really bad outcomes. That's not this, that's not this podcast, but I guess my point with the, with, with trying to nail down that recommendation is that it's a common one that you see, Oh, go into it well hydrated. But I think the more pragmatic is just make sure you're, if you're optimally hydrated anyway, keep it that way. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Continue. Absolutely. Right. Not necessarily, yeah, yeah. more is not necessarily better sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What about the need and we're going to, this is kind of diving back into your expertise. What about the need to really back off the exercise dose? So we're, we're training, yeah. we'll go back to our two hour a day runner, right? Let's just say, yeah. Hey, I want to be super conservative and I'm going to take a, a whole week off, a whole week off bordering the vaccine three days before the day of three days after that's a whole week. I'm normally exercising 14 hours a week. That's typical endurance athlete. Right. But for whatever reason, I'm super paranoid. I'm, I'm taking the extremes just to set up the example for you. We're going to take the whole week off beforehand, zero physical activity outside of normal steps and things like that. What, like, is that a reasonable course of action or does that somehow impact the immune system in the opposite fashion? Yeah, I would say it's probably, that probably wouldn't be sensible um, because it, it, again, it's a big diversion from what is normal for, for that person. And 
we've seen, like in some other areas of sort of health, you see that from if people significantly reduce their levels of activity, even just for a couple of days, you start to see negative changes in their general health, even just after a couple of days. Um, I mean, this is, you know, going from somebody who's regularly active and hitting those 10,000 steps a day or whatever, dropping that down to like less than 3,000 steps per day. You see big changes in health markers after like two days of doing that. So with that in mind, I would I would imagine that somebody who's training 14 hours a week to then do zero um, is probably not going to be normal and it's not going to be good for them. And it would probably be unnecessary. We can get some clues on this from um, other vaccination research or the vaccination studies that are, that are out there. Again, it's a bit of an assumption to, to say that the COVID vaccine would, would respond in the same way, but kind of best guess based on what's out there at the moment. When we look at how people respond to flu vaccines, um, then you don't tend to see in, in healthy people. So, you know, you're, if we take these athletes as, a, as an example of that, then they tend to respond normally, um, even if they're still training as normal. So the one exception to that is a study that came out last year um, where actually the conclusion of the study was not even if they trained right before their jab, it, it didn't have any adverse effects on their response to the vaccination. Um, however, if you actually look at the data in the study a little bit more closely, um, one of the virus strains um, did respond not so well if they'd trained two hours before, hmm. if they'd done a hard session two hours before. So this would be um, like a super still, acute response, right? You're training like literally yeah. immediately before you get you uh, you get yeah. your shot. Yeah. So for this, all of the other strains, they weren't really different, but there was one of the flu strains um, and the antibody response to that, they... They separated, they had a group of athletes. It, I mean, there's, I guess one of the difficulties with this study is they were actually quite vague in terms of giving information about the athletes and what they did. So they, they described them as elite athletes and they said that they trained hard and they had a hard session um, and they then had a flu jab and that flu jab was either two hours after their last hard session or 24 to 26 hours after their last hard session. So essentially the next day, um, but they didn't give any more information about what that session was. And this right. was a mixture of different types of athletes. But anyway, when you look at that one strain, the amount of increase in antibody levels um, in the people who waited a day was 16 fold. So antibody levels are down here. They oh, go wow. up 16 fold. Yeah. Um, and the ones who had it two hours after, so it was only fourfold, yeah, which is difference. still a good increase. Yeah. But, you know, this one's uh, four times greater than that. Yeah. Um, and again, in that wasn't statistically significant. But, you know, who, if you're not bothered about statistical significance, if you're like, I want the optimal response from this vaccination, do I want a 16-fold increase in my antibody levels? Or do I want a fourfold increase? I'd go for the 16, thank you. Um, so... That's that. I guess that's the the biggest clue that we've got is from that study, but the the also the problem with that is we've got we haven't got all of the details available from that study about exactly what was their definition of you know they did a hard session a couple of hours before, but it certainly it certainly gives us some clues to say if you leave it at least a day then that's probably a lot better than, you know, running to the clinic or something like that. For <laughs> Finishing your interval session at the clinic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've seen, so, but I've seen something like that too. Like, okay, it's, or, or it's okay to do a hard session the day of, right? And this is why I'm getting, this is kind of why I'm trying to like filter through all the noise a little bit because there have been a lot of, it in, in, in my world and the training world across runners, trail runners, cyclists, triathletes, there've been a lot of really specific recommendations mm -hmm. on everybody wants to center on when is your last hard workout before the jab and when should your next one be, right? They're trying to optimize the amount of training and avoid as much downtime as possible. And I just kind of come back to, it's like, we really don't know. Like we really don't know. And you're just rolling the dice. 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that, that guideline that you've just said, that recommendation um, about it's okay to do a hard session on the day. I wouldn't be surprised if that came directly from the study that I've just talked about. Right. Um, Cause that came out about eight, eight, 10 months ago, something like that. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's seen that and, 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 for all of the other flu strains, actually, it, it was fine, but there was this one. We don't know if COVID would be more like that flu strain where the response was affected, more like the other ones that weren't affected, or something completely different. So, you know, if if I was to be, I guess, conservative and, and maybe a little bit tentative, I would say don't do a hard session on that day beforehand, just either have that day off or do a light one um, because it's only one day. You know what I mean, it's like, and what if we don't know, cause we haven't, we haven't seen that exact study yet, but what if it did have a bit of an effect on your vaccine response and you weren't as protected as you should have been. And then you go and get COVID. How many days are you going to be off yeah. because of that? You know, some people get long COVID and they're wiped out for months and months or even longer. So, for the you know, it's a big risk to take in my eyes for the sake of one more or two more hard sessions. Um, so again, we said we weren't going to say you know specific recommendations <laughs> or guidelines, but if if I was to be conscious, I'd say do you know what that day just 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 don't do the that super yeah. hard session. It's only one day, and then see how you feel the day after or the day after that. Here's what here's what I've always felt helps. This is kind of outside of exercise immunology and gets more into my world, which is training architecture and training design. If you look at training through a really long lens, months, not days, which training should endurance training should always be looked at through this. You're not really out anything. There might be certain circumstances where if you're like butting right up to an event that that day-to-day architecture might be somewhat material. I'm using the word somewhat pretty generally is probably still not that material. But if you back the training lens out to months, not, you know, not days, as I mentioned earlier, you can only handle so much training stress over long periods of time. And so if you just rearrange things and say, okay, well, I'm going to take these three days easy, it's not like they go and evaporate into thin air. You just have the opportunity to do something different, sometimes several weeks down the line. It all comes out, almost all, 99% of it kind of comes out in the wash. Yes, you can have perfect architecture and perfect structure, but for a a lot of these like substitutions, whether it's due to logistics or illness, or in this case, a vaccine, like you're just moving the different puzzle pieces into a different order. And at the end of the day, it just, like I said, it just kind of comes out in the wash. It's interesting as well when, when you're saying about substitutions for, for other types of sessions, because one thing that there is quite a lot of literature on is using exercise to enhance the response to vaccination. Again, this is primarily on influenza, on on flu vaccines, Um, but there's been a pretty good body of evidence showing that exercise can enhance how an individual responds, like acute exercise, but but chronic as well. So you take a group of, you know, sedentary, unfit, unhealthy individuals, and you just train them to be reasonably fit, they're gonna respond better to to a vaccination on average than, than an unfit group. So generally, you know, being a fit individual, a healthy individual, you're probably going to have a better response in general on average. Um, and then also some work that has been done looking at things that enhance response, they've, they've tended to use like resistance or sort of conditioning yep. type exercise. Yep. So there's some studies that have shown that actually um, shortly before a vaccination, doing some you know, um, moderate resistance exercise is actually really good at enhancing um, the the response to vaccination. So when you talked about that kind of switching it around or, you know, moving things about a little bit, it could be that that's the session that you want to put in there on that day instead, um, if you you do have that in Mm. your schedule. Um, And I guess there's, based on the literature on things like flu, that's probably the one that's going to be or has the greatest probability of actually conferring a beneficial acute um, huh. response to, to the vaccination. That's interesting. So you literally, you'd be substituting a resistance training session. You'd be substituting an endurance session for a resistance training session the day before or the day of. 
Yeah, day of, I think. If, if you mm-hmm. if you must train on that day. Again, if, if you want to get I really think, specific, yeah. I still think this all comes down to just be reasonable. You know, like yeah, don't like yeah. don't hit either one of the extremes. Just be super reasonable and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, okay, last piece. This might be the most speculative piece. So if you totally punt this, we can end the podcast right there. <laughs> there, there, there seems to be a certain cohort of people that it takes a week. And they have elevated heart rate for a week. They, you know, they're running, they might run a slight fever for several days and things like that. Is there anything that we can draw upon to give those athletes in particular some guidance on what they should be doing if they run into that? Because once again, you don't know what you don't know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So the people who Or terrain traps the, to avoid or terrain traps yeah. to avoid, right? I mean, I, I think this would be, I guess, one of those examples of listen to your body. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, you're feeling like that for a reason. Um, so you're probably not going to feel, if you're if you're feeling wiped out, you know, as a side effect of the vaccine, that feeling probably isn't going to get better if you go out and, you know, smash a really hard session. So I think that would probably, yeah. So the, the trap there would be, oh, I feel like, crap i better train twice as hard to (laughs) get rid of it (laughs) yeah so so yeah i mean you you, i would that would probably be the biggest sign to say you know what let's just take it easy for a bit maybe something really light but yeah just be see how you feel and and hope that it's improving day by day um but yeah I, i i'm not aware of any any particular reasons or any particular mechanisms or evidence that's identified why some people respond like that and others don't. Um, so without knowing that, it's hard to say, oh, what can you do yeah. to avoid it? Or what can you do to get to get by it more quickly? Um, other than just listen to your body and, and, and respond accordingly, I guess. Yep. I just keep saying, write it out, be patient, zoom the training lens out. It'll all come back long-term. I know that it's not ideal or what you want right now, but you got to zoom the lens out. See, we didn't get a whole bunch of nothing burgers. We got some like practical <laughs> things. Glenn, the listeners won't know this, but Glenn and I had some brief email conversations beforehand that we wanted to make sure that we stay a stayed within Glenn's expertise, but B, because we don't know a whole lot, as I've kind of mentioned earlier, we don't want to, we don't want to add to the speculation. We want to add to the clarity. Right. And I think we did a good job. Absolutely. That. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we did a bit of that at least. Awesome, anyway. <laughs> Glenn, if you send me that one paper, I'll put it in the show notes with the caveat that that don't derive too much from this because it's hard to actually uh, it's hard to scrutinize some of the methods and 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 what the actual protocols were. But I'll absolutely include that. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to uh, mention to the listeners before we let you go? I mean, yeah, just on on the note of that paper, I think obviously you you, you have to you have to take or I guess don't overlook the conclusions that the authors put forward. Um, but you've got the data there as well for a reason. Um, and sometimes, you know, people get obsessed with the, was this statistically significant or wasn't it statistically significant? Um, in the real world, sometimes, not always, sometimes, you know, they do align, but sometimes statistically significant and actually clinically relevant or clinically meaningful are separated and they're not necessarily the same thing. So yeah, when you see papers like this, look at the data, you know, sometimes it could be that they were underpowered, you know, that the sample size wasn't large enough. And if they'd have had more people or if they repeated it and added to the data, then these things would come out as statistically significant. But yeah, so that when, when you see that paper, it, it's, it is really striking to me that there is, you know, 16 fold versus four fold, you know, and well, actually, they report it as a trend, I think. And um, some people in statistics don't like yeah. people using trends because yeah. it's either it is or it isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of yeah. thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, which, you know, if you want the optimal response, which one would you rather be, I, I guess? And the other, yeah, if I think even like some of the athletes in this were like wrestlers, like, um, you know, high level wrestlers or something like that. So, we can only theorize, but if we'd have took a group of, you know, endurance and ultra endurance runners and did that exact endurance athletes and did that exact same study, we might've got, we might've got a a different picture. So I would say 
you know, don't hang all of your sort of hope on that one paper and, and you know, stay open-minded. And, you know, for the sake of one day, then, you know, it, it could be worth backing off. Yeah, um, 100%. I mean, different. you mentioned this a little bit earlier. We do know that the immune response to different types of exercise, whether it's endurance exercise or resistance exercise, we'll kind of leave it in those two categories just to avoid any sort of further nuance. We do know that that is different depending upon how much, just depending upon the nature of those two exercises. So I think that you're, you're, it's, it's a very important point to note that when we're looking at some of these studies that look at athletes in quote, and even elite athletes in quote, we have to look at the types of athletes and the types of uh, training activities that they're actually performing within this specific area of uh, uh, immune response. Yeah, and I think the, one of the other things that I, th- I think is really important is when you talk about that kind of, you know, almost zooming out and, and taking the sort of the long look at things. And we've, you know, we've focused so much on the acute, like what what I do this one day that I'm having the vaccine or this one day where I might be going to be exposed to a pathogen. And when we get obsessed with that for, for good reason, because, you know, it, it affects, you know, your risk of getting ill, it affects how you respond. But the thing that we always must remember is that like for the the long lens i guess is a lifetime you know for for um athletes and it's easy to overlook but when you look at the illness over the lifetime of an athlete you know athletes are generally healthier so you know there's a lower incidence of of certain types of cancer um in 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 you know, individuals who have been highly active for their whole life or in, in elite level athletes. And actually the the risks from things like influenza and, you know, flu is actually lower. If you look at like across the whole population and you look over the course of a lifetime, it's lower in athletes. Um, it's just that we're talking about acute time points when they might be, you know, not quite as good as normal. But again, taking that long lens look, it, it's always good to remember that kind of it's not all bad. And actually, athletes are generally better on average. It's just there might be this odd, you know, little period here or there where they've increased risk. So I think that's a really important thing to bear in mind as well um, is the sort of the long game, I suppose. Glenn, that's a brilliant way to end it. Always take the big picture. Always look at the long lens. Thank you for coming on the podcast again, repeat offender, and also on such such, such short notice. I realize I just got a hold of you last week, but super important. Really appreciate your work in the area, and I do want to bring up one thing that you brought up at the end of the last podcast. People like you are still valuable. This COVID thing's still running, and people who know exercise immunology, we're still going to tap into you, into your resource. And I do think that that is going to be something that's evergreen. So it's good for people that are in the line of work and the profession and expertise that you have. Brilliant! Thank you very much. Yeah, it was a pleasure chatting again, Jason. Yeah, it's great stuff. All right, Glenn. All right, folks, there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Glenn for coming back on the podcast as a repeat offender and discussing some of these aspects today. I know that this is a time where a lot of this information is confusing, and it's confusing because it's new. It's a new vaccine that's out. It's several new vaccines that are out, actually. And we're just learning about how some of these affect individuals. I do think that one of the things that we can take away from this is that these recommendations for how to come back from the vaccine, post-vaccine and how to start training or how to train coming into the vaccine, we have to realize that we don't know what we don't know. And I've seen these play, I've seen these types of recommendations play out all over the space in the lay literature from take a week off to take two weeks off to do this if you're taking this vaccine, to do that if you're taking that vaccine. And while all of that advice is certainly well intended, I do think it kind of misses the mark because it really is just a lot of guessing at this point. So... You guys hopefully can uh, use some of the information that uh, you gleaned from this particular podcast to make your own training decisions. We have these big general guidelines uh, mapped out for you, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to see how you react going into uh, either one of your vaccine doses and how you react coming out of it. I do think that everybody is very well served to always look at training through a very long-term lens. 
When you look at training through a long-term lens, you're more likely to make the right decisions and less likely to make the wrong ones. That is always a good way to approach the entirety of your training. All right, that's it for today, folks. Thanks a lot to all the listeners. Appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.